and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who's we? Well, I'm your host Andrew, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host Mick. You see, now at this point, it's usually where I turn around to Andrew and do something thematically similar to the show that we're, or film that we're um, talking about, but this week I couldn't be bothered. So, hi Andrew, how are you doing? Great. You know, I was literally sitting here when I was making my notes going, now, is there a way I can incorporate like a fourth wall break into it? <laughs> but I was like, but that doesn't work because we're not actually fictional characters. But now I guess, are we, Mick? <laughs> it's difficult to separate fantasy from fact in this crazy topsy-turvy world that we live in. It really is. Which we've learned our lesson from the last couple of shows so we're going to make absolutely no comments that will help listeners like decide exactly what week of 2022 this was filmed in. That's right. But just to try and set some kind of scene, how was your apocalypse? Oh, good. I mean, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to fit this one in between like the previous apocalypse and the upcoming apocalypse. You see, that, that's the problem, isn't it? Do you, do, you, do you release after the financial apocalypse or after the nuclear apocalypse? or the second financial apocalypse, or the COVID apocalypse, or the apocalypse apocalypse. And of course, don't forget Michael Bublé's new album, Apocalypso Calypso. Oh, I should really learn this lesson to not let you keep talking. Yes. Anyway, this week we're beholding She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Or Open Black Season 6, as I like to call it. So yes, this is the 2022 Disney Plus series created by Jessica Gao and based on the Marvel Comics character created by Stan Lee and John Buscema. But this is another one of those where it's technically created by. Ah. Because they were very much... They, they, did in, they did invent the character and wrote a single issue of her series and then promptly disappeared off into the ether as they do. Right. Which, fun fact, I found out today that the idea behind She-Hulk's creation is possibly the most 70s thing I've ever heard. <laughs> In that Stan Lee was watching TV said, well, the Incredible Hulk TV series is popular. And the other very popular TV series is the Six Million Dollar Man. And the Six Million Dollar Man has a Bionic Woman spin-off. So the Hulk should have a lady spin-off. Right. I mean, that, that's a very 70s viewpoint, isn't it? It certainly is. You know, these days... These days, what would happen is someone would say, well, probably me, actually. Why do we have to have a female superhero? Why can't we just have a female superhero in her own right? Indeed. Although I think the one consistency between both eras would be someone at Marvel saying, yeah, but we need to make this or someone else might snatch up the IP. That's true. Which is rich coming from a company like Marvel who's spent the last two decades trying to figure out just exactly who does own their IP. Yeah, bless them. Just think like they're going to get partway through the next series and realise, oh no, wait a minute. It's actually like the former president of Lionsgate who owns all the rights to She-Hulk. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Actually, World of Wakanda is cancelled because it turns out Barry from Sheffield owns the rights to name or the Submariner. Yeah. And he lost them in a divorce battle. I don't know. Turns out it's actually a sheep that owns them. Yeah. <laughs> they were left in a bequest to a field of sheep. I mean, basically, I think Marvel IP rights are just the same as UK Prime Ministers. 
what just when you think they can't possibly get any stupider they do yes uh. and that no one really knows who's doing what <laughs> well that's true right shall we get back to the matter in hand we should indeed because before i got tangentially distracted so like i say stanley wrote kind of the first issue the rest of the issues of savage she-hulk which was the original she-hulk series were written by david anthony craft and drawn by mike vosberg but i think for a lot of people the person who really defined she-hulk is john byrne because he was the one who introduced the fourth wall breaking and i think made it much more of like a, a legal drama right so he's kind of the guy, along with Dan Slott, that a lot of this series takes its influence from. Right. Okay. So, so how familiar were you with She-Hulk before the series? I, I've got a couple. You, you know how I am want to, if I see them in like charity shops and stuff like that, pick up odd one-off issues of those collected part works of Marvel and DC. Um or I'll occasionally pick them up in a sale. So I've got a couple of volumes of She-Hulk stories, one where she kind of seems to be kind of flat-sharing with Spider-Girl or Spider-Woman. Um, and I think they're from kind of later on in the, the She-Hulk oeuvre. Um, and I've seen a few guest appearances of She-Hulk in sort of like animated series and stuff like that. Um, she's always seemed to be a lot of fun. Yes, indeed. That's that's always been my kind of takeaway from She-Hulk. I think I first came across her in the 90s Incredible Hulk cartoon. Yeah. Where she gave young Andrew many confusing feelings. Yes. But yeah, I just like... I, it's think, that... I, like, I think I like the nice big lady, but she's green. Yeah, oh, well. I... <laughs> But yeah, I just, it's always that fun kind of like juxtaposition of Bruce Banner being, oh, I'm the Hulk, it's my curse to bear, it's the worst thing in the world. And then Jennifer Walters being, yeah, this is pretty fun, isn't it? <laughs> Let's rock this. Yeah. My God, I can finally reach things on the high shelf. Yes. But yeah, just in general, she always seems to be tremendous fun when she shows up in things except for sometimes when writers try and like make her all moody and depressed and then it doesn't really work because that's not the character yeah and i thought at times this was going to try and do that in the early episodes yeah there's definitely a few bits that seemed like they were heading there but then kind of swerved away yeah also i will just give a little shout out there's currently, a, well, at, at time of recording, currently a She-Hulk series written by Rainbow Rowell, which is also very enjoyable. Yes. So, yeah, if you haven't read that, check it out. Okay. See, see, this is a useful podcast. It is. It is. I, I mean, I would say that from the point of view of um, getting information on what comic books to read and what comic properties to get involved with we're probably far more used than we are as say i don't know political commentators yeah that's that's fair we have at least the comics advice is a bit more up to date than our politics advice i mean in in, in our defense comics come out on a less frequent basis than prime ministers change that is very true <laughs> Anyway, shall, shall I do a little synopsis for the series? Do a little synopsis, but let's not forget, better spoilers ahead. Oh, very well said, Mick. Thank you. You're welcome. So. We get so many complaints on the Twitter and the Insta and all the other social media that all you kids use. Do, do you want to try that again? Do you want to try sound more convincing? Hey, <laughs> do you want to try and sound more convincing? 
Okay. We get so many complaints from on the Twitter and the Insta and all those other apps that you kids use. Uh, Kevin will fix it later. It's Kevin. Oh, yes, Kevin. So, lawyer Jennifer Walters, played by Tatiana Maslany, is involved in a car accident with her cousin Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the now very credible Hulk, played by Mark Ruffalo. Uh, while trying to pull Bruce from the wreckage, Jennifer, presumably still played by the same Tatiana Maslany, is contaminated with his blood, also turning her into a Hulk. Jen? I expect he was driving her back from the clone laboratory where he'd rescued her from Project Leader. Yeah, or he'd got one of the weird Tatiana Maslany's and was trying to exchange her for a different one. <laughs> like he got a Helena, but he was hoping for more of a Sarah. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, if any of them was going to turn into She-Hulk, it would be Helena. It would. That would be a very different show. That would be the Savage She-Hulk. Yes. So, Jen tries to return to her normal life, but ends up revealing her powers in court to stop the escape of super-strong social media influencer Titania, played by Jamila Jamil. After being dubbed She-Hulk by the news, Jen is hired by the law firm Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg and Holloway to head their superhuman law division. She works alongside her best friend, paralegal Nikki Ramos, played by Ginger Gazanga, and fellow lawyers Augustus Pug Pugliese, played by Josh Segara, and Mallory Buck, played by Renee Elise Goldsbury. The team are involved in a number of cases, including gaining parole for Emil Blonsky in the, the Abomination, played by Tim Roth, uh, prosecuting an Asgardian light elf for de defrauding a man by impersonating Megan the Stallion, helping Benedict Wong with a cease and desist on magician Donnie Blaze, handling a divorce case for all of Mr. Immortal's partners after his multiple deaths, and baffling Tania's attempts to trademark the She-Hulk name. And then also Daredevil In shows up. <laughs> Interesting point about the actor who plays Pug. I mean, I know actors do have a tendency, especially in genre shows, to get typecast. But how niche is it to get typecast as an attorney in superhero franchises? Ooh, what else was he in? He was in Arrow. And he played an attorney who was also Brother Blood. No, was he, was oh, he Brother Blood or was, was he was Vigilante? This... Um, I, I, cause I think I saw this series. Was it like he was Adrian Chase? Yes. But then instead of being vigilante, he was actually Prometheus. And yes. then they made someone else vigilante as like a twist. It, yeah, it was all it was all a bit confusing. But yes, he was in Arrow as an attorney. So uh, I mean, God, know, I'd, that, I'd forgotten that was him. That. That is focusing on a particular career stream with laser sight. It hey, is. the MCU's really taking off. There's going to be lots of superhero shows and movies. They're all going to have legal activity going on. They're going to need attorneys. That's where I'm going to focus my acting skills. I mean, good for him. He's found where he's comfortable I, I'm, and he's made working. it work. Yeah. <laughs> also, like I say, I'm pretty sure I've seen at least some of that series of Arrow. But the idea of trying to think of Pug as like a serious attorney. Yeah. I, I cannot do it now. And, you know, for anybody to be in Arrow, you've got to consider them being serious because it was a very serious show. Even oh, the was... funny bits in Arrow were serious. And God, did that show want you to know it's very serious. Yes. It's just like its famous opening narration, my name is Oliver Queen and I'm very serious. <laughs> you can tell by how much he frowns. I'm going to, I'm going to protect this city from frivolity. Yes, there'll be no jabery on my watch. 
I oh, my do. name isn't Green Arrow, which sometimes it isn't because we decided that's too silly. I spent an entire five-year stint on an island of no fun, and I liked it. <laughs> well, a five-year stint, except for those times where I went to Japan, but I also didn't have fun there, so it still counts. And then there was Russia, where I also oh, yeah. didn't have fun. He spent so long not on that island. God, the only it's... it's the only exile that's got like three away days. <laughs> I like how we've done I think a single arrowverse thing on the show, and yet every other episode we do just devolves into ranting <laughs> about one of the shows. <laughs> anyway. I do it to distract him from the fact that I've done no preparation for the episode we're actually recording. Anyway, Daredevil, Charlie Cox, he's back. He's still great as always. And he and She-Hulk team up, if you know what I mean. I mean, in, in, in every sense of the word, as, as sort of superheroes go, really. Yes. Because they do also fight the super... Well, well, well super villain's a generous term for Leapfrog, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, while all this is going on, Jen also finds that she's being targeted by a group of online trolls called Intelligentsia, led by the mysterious Hulk King, whose, mystery, whose identity is going to be a mystery up until this next sentence. It turns out that Hulk King is Todd Phelps, played by John Bass, a douchey guy Jen went on a date with once. Todd steals Jen's blood and uses it to transform into a Hulk. Then Titanium and Abomination show up, and also Bruce, and it all descends into a big punch-up. Until, sick of this nonsense, She-Hulk punches her way out of her own show and goes to confront the writers, who then point her to the artificial intelligence in charge of the MCU, the Knowledge Enhanced Visual in Interconnectivity Nexus. Or Kevin. <laughs> She-Hulk convinces Kevin to rewrite the ending to remove Todd's powers, uh, send Bruce back, and then have Daredevil show up. Because as Jen said, a woman has needs. <laughs> so Todd is arrested and Jen takes Daredevil, but as Matt Murdock, to meet her family including Bruce and his son, Scar. Yeah, that came out of left field. Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, literally has no attachment to the rest of the show. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we've mentioned before that the MCU has a fairly like, noticeable habit of just shoving things in and almost turning to camera and saying, this will be important in a future film. Which... Oh my god, if there was one opportunity to literally do that, it was this show. <laughs> yeah, just have Jen go in, you saw it here first. Or something akin to that. But yeah. But yeah, th this is one of the more egregious examples of, this has nothing to do with this thing, but will probably be relevant later on. Yeah. And it has sparked rumours that they may be doing either a show or film about world the uh, planet hulk or world war hulk yeah well, well i know because kind of one bit i didn't mention is that very early on in the series bruce goes off back to sakaar which that seemed like it was going to set up like a planet hulk thing but then i don't know because he's come back in the the end of it mm. so i don't know also just i don't know how given how the Hulk is in the MCU, how they'd, like, bring in something like Planet Hulk or World War Hulk. Yeah, because you kind of think that, like, Thor Ragnarok was at the tail end of Planet Hulk, wouldn't you? Yeah, that, that was kind of cherry-picking a few elements out of it. Yeah, yeah. We'll see, we'll see. And uh, I think I think the appearance of Kevin was probably Mordok season two. Oh, Mordok, that was a show. 
It was a show. But yeah, I, d I did for a sec, like when Kevin appeared, thought that was where they were going. That like, this yeah. was how they were introducing Modoc. Yeah. But no, he's just he's a robot, Kevin Feige. Yeah. And we've got no reason to doubt it because we've never seen them in the same room together. That's true. The I one mean... that does all the one that does all the Disney Day and Comic Con appearances that could just be a holograph. Yeah, or he's. I bet that's what's under his cap is just like a little antenna that they use to remote control him. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it, that's just the transmitter, isn't it? That's the holographic projector. It's basically just a stick that gets wheeled onto stick. It's like it's like one of those segways with a, an iPad on it. Yeah, just a really advanced one of those. It's in a, the just shape a really... of Kevin Feige. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, She-Hulk. I, I overall enjoyed it. I, I think maybe you liked it a bit more than I did. Well, in our house, there is a gauge for comic book properties. So we start watching them all together, me and the missus. And then sometimes she'll, if it stops being fun to watch, or it starts getting a bit too over complex, or it starts um, trying to be a bit too worthy, or indeed a bit too far the other way and too silly. She'll just say, "You watch this on your own," because I know at some point you're going to have to podcast about it. And uh, so that's what that's what I'll do. Sometimes she'll go back and do them again later, but she knows that, you know, there's no point us, like, doing this episode, there's no point us doing this in, like, 2026, because podcasting will have been made illegal by the then Liberal Democrat government. But, um, She-Hulk, we did the whole series together. Well... There you go. That, so, that's one so ringing that, endorsement then. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the thing. I, for me, I would say that She-Hulk, even though it's only nine episodes, is a bit like Buffy. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when it's good, it's excellent. I mean, it, you know, when it's a good episode of Buffy is probably one of the finest 45 minutes of TV you're ever going to see. A bad episode of Buffy is probably going to be, it's going to feel like three hours and it will feel like it's directed by Zack Snyder and should have had a streaming release only. But because of that, overall, the series is an enjoyable whole. And I think with um, She-Hulk, some of the bits it tried to do didn't quite work and were a bit iffy. Um, and some of the gags maybe didn't land as well as they, they could have done. Uh, but when it, when, it, when it broke the fourth wall well, it really smashed it. And, you know, when it, when it did a fanboy-pleasing cameo well, it really smashed it. And when it didn't, it kind of fell flat. You know, sometimes there was sometimes there was a little bit too much foreshadowing of a cameo and the cameo was of such a sort of D-list villain or hero that it was like, really? <laughs> You've built it up to that? But overall, it was a lot of fun. It was exactly as much fun as reading a She-Hulk comic. Yeah, I, I definitely... I think it was a lot of fun. I think, like, obviously, on the whole, most of the jokes, the, the ones that work, work really well. And there aren't, so there aren't too many that don't work. Oh, no, no. The, the, it, it's maybe one every two or three episodes. It's it's not like every week there's a, a real bloody damp squib. But I think, yeah. and, and I think, 
I think a lot of it is to do with how much you know comics. And I think possibly possibly the, the one issue I've got with She-Hulk is that it's aimed at us. It's aimed at comic book fans. But even me doing the stuff we do, I mean, we've we've done in the past, we've done podcasts about the more obscure villains and the more obscure heroes in various comic book universes and various comic book teams and stuff. But even with me, I wasn't familiar with some of the references. I'm not that familiar with Titania, really. And actually, I felt she was a bit of a cipher in this. Apart from the whole intellectual property thing, it wasn't really a... It was a plot line that kind of fizzled. Yeah, and I think that's overall... That probably ties together the main issue I have with this series. Is I feel like it's got a lot of things going on and not always enough time to actually do much yeah. with them. Because for me... A lot of the time it felt like, because the, the whole concept of the show is it's supposed to be like a half an hour sitcom. Yeah. But especially because the MCU is already quite a, in general, jokey franchise. This to me felt a lot more just like, right, we've got the script for like a solid 45, 50 minute episode. And now we need to trim it down. Yeah. And I, th I think that's it. And I think, like, if if we'd have done this as the same sort of length as, like, a, a WandaVision or a Falcon and Winter Soldier, that whole intelligent, intelligentsia plot line would have felt a bit more... It would have, have been like the conspiracy plot in uh, X-Files. It would have just bubbled away in the background with a payoff in the last episode. And then you could have you could have had a full episode or two of her having this rivalry with Titania, and then it would have all made more sense. You could have developed that almost will-they-won't-they, they, almost a rom-com within the sitcom of her and Daredevil, along with all the dating sort of failures that she had. Yeah. I don't know if it's like a budget thing, because I also feel like... I would still want this to be like a 10 or a 12 episode long series. Yeah. Because you don't want to cut out like the individual sort of cases they do. Because that for me is like the best bit of it. Yeah. And I, I, I think then you, you're getting into the, you're getting into the problem then, aren't you? With a budget thing. If you're going to feature abomination, it's got to be the MCU abomination. Therefore it's got to be Tim Roth. Well, Tim Roth probably comes at a slightly higher price tag than anyone else that could play Abomination. Mark Ruffalo is going to come with a bigger tag than anybody else who could play Hulk or Bruce. Indeed. And I guess, like, it's easy to sit here and say, oh, yeah, but Disney, they've probably got, like, unlimited money. But, I mean, I suppose they have to like budget these things based on how well they think they're going to do. This is it. And, the, and they have got unlimited money. And the reason they have got unlimited money is that they know how to make things make money. And it's no good. It, it'd be no good for them to throw $30 million at She-Hulk the series and only recoup 12 back. You know, they know that the, they know that the MCU franchise is a, a moneymaker I suspect She-Hulk is probably not one that's got them a whole host of new subscribers for Disney Plus. Um, simply because it's it's a bit like that Iron Man thing. It was a bit of a gamble. She's not the well-known A-list superhero that, say, Spider-Man is or, or the, the X-Men or something like that. Yeah, so it's not I good. think... She, she's definitely the kind of character where it's easier to make a series like this when you've got yeah. your own streaming platform yeah. rather than saying, right, we've got to take this huge risk on making like a network TV show. Yeah, that's it. So um, 
I absolutely get why there isn't the budget there, but then if you haven't got the budget there, you need to find other ways to make it work. And I think maybe I liked the abomination plot line, but I, 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 I the, for me, the link to intelligentsia just felt a bit forced. Yeah. Because I mean, he doesn't really even have one. It's just he gets hired as like a motivational speaker in the yeah. last episode. And, it, and it's like, well, and it's not even like it's part of some kind of master plan. It's not like Hulk King has sort of engineered it so that Jen walks through the door while the abomination is speaking. It all just kind of happens. Yeah. Like, I know it's quite a predictable twist. But I feel like this series works better if just Abomination is Hulk King. Yeah. Because then like, it, it gives him something a bit more to do, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, and it does kind of, it castrates Abomination a little bit, does the series, doesn't it? it yeah. The, the, there's a nice little play on the whole, the supervillain is becoming a nice guy, but he's becoming too nice. He's almost becoming a villainous level of nice. So he's becoming almost a cult leader rather than a well-being guru. And it's almost like he can't help himself being villainous. Even when he's being virtuous, he's doing it in a villainous kind of way. Yeah, but then again, that's, that's not really something that actually happens, is it? No, and, and that's it. It's... A, so some of the elements are neither now nor summer, but it's only when you kind of come to um, appear on a review podcast, say, and look back at the show that you notice it, because the rest of the time you're just having so much fun watching uh, all the fourth wall breaks and the little cameos and the humour and the funny bits and the and the sad bits and the, the failed dates and stuff, that you just go... <laughs> yeah, it's... I feel like this is a bit like the Batman 89 episode again mm. where it's like yes it's quite easy to sit here and like retrospectively pick apart all the criticisms we have but I mean when I was actually watching it I, I don't care about that kind of stuff I'm having too much fun yeah. and that, that's it like I say it's, it's only when you chew it over that you think and I think it's where people like you and I spoil these films and shows you know because we sit there, we find a loose thread and we pull it and we pull it and we pull it and we pull it. And because we live in the world of the internet, suddenly everybody's pulling that thread. And before you know it, we're only saying, so, are you looking forward to She-Hulk season two? And someone's going, oh, I haven't heard it's been cancelled because of all the negative press. Yeah, no, sorry, the Behold Boys slated it. So, as you yeah. know, we here at Disney Plus are entirely beholden to what they say. I mean, we're we're we are largely responsible for the MCU phase plans. Really, it, it's up to us. I mean, you know, phase six. Watch out! I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know whether we're still under an NDA or not on that. But you know, that Squiddle Girl movie is coming. Yeah, and similarly, do you guys remember Inhuman season two? No, you don't, and you're welcome. <laughs> in fact we're actually trying uh, very hard to get season one expunged from history yes we're just working on those retroactive takedowns <laughs> I mean really maybe we could just erase Ike Perlmutter and the world will be a much better place ah <laughs> oh. Just basically, we just we need to find the AI intelligence that's creating all of our reality, and then convince yeah. him to tweak a few bits. We need to find our Kevin. We do indeed. We need to break our own fourth wall. This is where Behold starts to get really meta, and me and Andrew just get confused and melt in a corner somewhere. Anyway, I, I, I liked all the little case bits, like I said. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think one of my favourites is just the bit with, like, Mr. Immortal and just this whole thing of, like, whenever someone just tells him something he doesn't want to hear, he just, like, jumps out a window. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it's like all, all the all the different ways that he's feigned death and left people. Yeah, just, just this idea of like he'll marry someone, get bored of them, and then just like step out in front of a truck. <laughs> Be pronounced dead. Find someone else. <laughs> but yeah, it's also it's getting into like the kind of stuff I always love seeing in this sort of superhero stuff. Is what is it like just for everyday people living in like this crazy world of like Asgardian gods and like yeah. aliens and future men. Yeah. It's um quite funny and there have been rumors circulating for ages that you were going to get these like series around just the cleanup guys who work for damage control and stuff like that again as little sort of half hour comedies and i think it would be nice to see that sort of joe normal situation put up against the backdrop of the the whole battle of new york and stuff like that yeah well i i think i've mentioned on the show before like one of my absolute favorite comic series is called the astro city it's by kurt busiek and ben anderson and it's basically it's that kind of stuff it's like looking at just what's it like for everyday people living in these superhero universes yeah i mean imagine being the guy who's just minding his own business, sitting in his cubicle in his office in a skyscraper in Central City, and the Flash chases a villain through in that way that they do, you know, where they're going through one side of the building, smash through all the walls and come out the other side. Yeah, and just the... Probably blows a staple off the desk as well. Yeah. And, you know, I've worked in offices where knowing where your stapler is gives you a sense of security because it means your your colleagues aren't thieves. Indeed. And it's, of course, things like that lead to my favourite moment in all these things is where they just see, like, these superhuman gods blast through, see all the damage and go, ah, not again. Yeah. Absolutely. Huh? Must be Tuesday. God, actually, that's that's my one thing about stuff like that. Why would anyone work in an office in like superhero universes? Surely just just get a job in like window replacement. Window replacement people in like the MCU must be so rich. Yeah, but how long lived is that wealth? Because you think about it. You think about Hell's Kitchen, for example. Alright. You're a window cleaner. Alright. Or a window replacement person. Daredevil's having a bit of a ding-dong. With Kingpin or a Kingpin henchman. Puts the windows through. The ones that you're replacing. After last week's ding-dong with Kingpin and whoever else. It's not going to end well for you, is it? I mean, I guess the secret is... Unless... Unless, of course, you're... You're the alter ego of the famous costumed Avenger, the Glazier. I mean, I can't say for certain that isn't a character. (laughs) I mean, we've had Condiment King, you know, anything is possible at this point. But no, I think just the secret is, it's not about being the guy who does the best job replacing the windows. It's about being the guy who does the cheapest job. Ah, so you're going for low turnover but high volumes. Exactly, because like you say, who's going to care like how good a job you do when Spider-Man's just going to kick your window through again next week? It's who can get it done quick, who can get it done cheap. And that's, that's how you corner the market. See, turns out the real point of the podcast is not political commentary, it's not comic book advice, it's, it's job a, tips. It, it's sorting out the socioeconomic 
redistribution of wealth in various comic book cities. Exactly. Citizens of, course, of Metropolis, you're welcome. Of course, you've got a problem in Star City because you've got Arrow taking out the top 1%, so no one's actually got a job anymore because there's no one to run any of the companies. Yeah, surely that must be, like, I know superhero identities kind of stretch belief a bit anyway, but when every other millionaire in the city is dead, Oliver Queen's got to look pretty suspicious. At, at the well, very least, a person of interest. Well, to be fair, having watched every season of Arrow, and seen how many times he gets questioned and or arrested and or imprisoned on suspicion of being the Arrow. My, Star City have a dumb police force. They need vigilante justice. Yeah, what, what happens when you put Wizard Harry Dresden in charge of your police force? I know. There's a crossover, eh? I mean... It would have fit in with Crisis on Infinite Earths, wouldn't it? <laughs> we found a replacement for the Constantine character. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just include crossovers with everything that every actor has ever been in. <laughs> Which brings us back to She-Hulk is one of the sisters. Of course. <laughs> and as as is tradition, any property involving Tatiana Maslany is now part of the Orphan Black universe. Yeah, including the movie The Woman in Gold. I don't know what that is. It's a uh, is it a is it a painting by Clint? But it was famously oh, uh, the one with like the kimono or something of gold. Yes, worn by a woman. Hence the name of the painting. God, how how do they think of these things? I don't know. You know that girl with a pearl earring painting? Oh, um, what's what's that one called again? The girl with the pearl earring. My God! If that... you wanna, if you wanna imagine the movie, just go to the gallery where the painting is and look at it for two and a half hours. Well, I mean, as as she said. Scully Hansen can play anything, <laughs> even a painting. I think I probably had other things to say about She-Hulk. Go on then. Uh, oh, yeah. I've made a note of some of the other cameos we had in this. You see, this is just typical of Andrew. He makes a pretense of having notes in front of him that he has to scan through to find the bit he wanted to say. Yeah, I mean, really, my laptop isn't even on. He thinks he's Richard Osman from Pointless. I'm not sure I like this snarky fourth wall breaking. <laughs> I feel like you, you've turned me against, like, She-Hulk and Deadpool now. Because now I get how annoying it is for everyone else. Could you imagine how, could you imagine how that would work? A Deadpool-She-Hulk crossover. I mean, I don't think they're in... I think they'd break so many fourth walls, walls the <laughs> entire like, reality would just collapse. It'd have to be filmed in a dodecahedron-shaped studio. So anyway, Abomination's therapy group in this includes a bunch of very minor Marvel characters, including El Aguila, who is a Spanish superhero who I think you, you kind of get it in this. Basically, he's one of those characters where he was very clearly made by just Americans who went, well, he's Spanish, so I guess he dresses like a matador. That's a character, isn't it? <laughs> then you've got Saracen, who I think in this, it was like he was pretending to be a vampire, wasn't it? Yeah. But in the comics, he's just a vampire. Uh, Porcupine who has possibly one of the worst costumes in all of comics, which they've lovingly recreated for this. Because it just, just looks like a giant haystack. <laughs> and Manbull, 
Who is part man, part bull? License to shit in the street. Probably not. Probably that's why I got arrested. <laughs> I think basically all of the weaknesses of a bull, but with like none of the strengths. Yes. And yeah, we also get the Wrecking Crew, who, if I'm being gripey about, I didn't like that much in this. No. Like, I thought they were a bit too easily pushed over. Yeah, and, and I think... I think that's, that, that is my problem with the series. There wasn't... Apart from Titania's legal challenge, there wasn't really anything to challenge She-Hulk. Yeah, and again, I think it's trying to be like in the space of 20 to 30 minutes, a legal drama, a comedy, and a like superhero action show is yeah. there's just not enough time for like proper big superhero fights. Yeah. And I know... I mean, obviously you can do other stuff. Like, I kind of like the idea that, oh no, I can't just beat up Titania. I've got to, like, take her on in court. Yeah. But then you get stuff like the Wrecking Crew, where they just, they attack She-Hulk, and she very easily just, I basically just pushes them over. Yeah. But the the, the Titania thing, um, you could have had, you could have had a situation where during the day, they were facing each other in the court case, with Titania not doing the whole sort of secret identity thing, Titania not really understanding that Jen is She-Hulk. Yeah, I thought that could have been a fun bit. Yeah. But I guess it it's probably would need to be reworked in the series because, like, she doesn't really have a secret identity in this, does she? No. Well, hey, if you want to use these ideas, Mr. Feige, I'm, I'm, honestly, you can find us through the podcast yeah also please like do a new wrecking crew and make them stronger because i like having them as just sort of b-string villains who can show up when you need some extra muscle because <laughs> really really they'd be good in something like ms marvel mm. like it's just uh oh here are a bunch of guys who are very strong so i can't just punch him but they're incredibly dumb so I'll just use my powers in some like fun, creative ways and beat them. Yeah. Which I think is is better is a better use of the wrecking crew than just I'm just gonna punch him. Yeah. Also, can we return to Andrew's incredibly minor gripe corner? Because in Literally the literally has a sign above it. Yeah, the, it. the light is flashing. Everyone assume the position. <laughs> So, in the comics, one member of the Wrecking Crew wears a balaclava, and in the She-Hulk TV series, one member of the Wrecking Crew wears a balaclava, but they're different members, because in the comics it's Wrecker who has the balaclava and he's got the crowbar, but in this, Thunderball, who has a big Wrecking Ball, he's wearing the balaclava, and it's just... Why would you go to the trouble of getting it so specifically wrong? Like, I can understand just saying, oh, okay, it's none of them are wearing biographies. Okay, it's, you know, people in the TV and the movies, they don't always wear the comic costumes. But it's the fact that they must have read the comics and gone, oh, yeah, one of them wears a balaclava in the comics. Let's put it on a different one. Why change it? Why? Maybe they thought it didn't matter which one wore it. But then why not just put it on the on Wrecker? The only thing I can think is that they knew it would bug me and they did it deliberately. I paid for that. I um, sent them a check. Now it makes sense. What what I did was I said, Hey, when you do the She Hulk series, can you do me a favour? The guy with the balaclava, can you make it a different guy with a balaclava? But make sure it's exactly the right balaclava. Yeah. 
I hate it. Because, like, genuinely, I feel like I'd, I'd be annoyed less if the Wrecking Crew showed up and they were, like, completely different. Like, one of them I don't know, had a jackhammer. One of them was a panther. <laughs> the other two were just cardboard cutouts. Then to get it so close and then just change one minor detail for no reason. Have you booked in with your therapist this week, Andrew? No, I need to go back to the retreats. <laughs> God, it's it's a good thing I'm not camera irradiated, isn't it? Because <laughs> the the amount of anger I get incredibly minor things. <laughs> It should be a non-stop rampage. It would. It would. My name is Andrew Young. Don't make me mildly inconvenienced. You won't like me when I'm mildly inconvenienced. <laughs> Don't mess with my continuity. You wouldn't like me when my continuity is messed. I mean, you probably wouldn't because I can be an absolute insufferable nerd about it. <laughs> you it a... can be. It's okay. I, I understand that no one else cares about this. But I still need to rant about it. I mean, that, that's the real truth. It's just, this is my therapy. <laughs> I don't need to pay for someone to talk to my problems about. I do a podcast. <laughs> oh, I, I will balance it out, though. By mentioning, I, I think we finally had an appearance by, I mean, possibly the best character in the MCU. And that is, of course, Madison with two N's and a Y, but it's not where you think. Ah, yes. Do you think we'll see more of her? Oh, I hope so. I want her and Wong is just hanging out. In a sort of, in a sort of, I dream of genie type sitcom. Yes. Or just like in the next Doctor Strange film, they both show up like a Marty's in hand. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, basically, it's stuff like that is what makes She Hulk just absolutely delightful. Yes. Yes, it is. It is a very enjoyable show. I hope they make more of it. As do I. So, shall we rank it on our list going from... Well, what's at the top? What's at the top, Andrew? What's at the top? Well, our top five, um, as listeners may remember since it was only a couple of episodes ago, number one is The Sandman, number two is Moon Knight, number three is Peacemaker, number four is One Division. number five is Jessica Jones Season 1. Ooh. Ooh, I will say, though, number six is The Boys Season 2. And right. I think I'd probably want to put She-Hulk below that. Well, I, I was definitely thinking I wouldn't have put it above um, Jessica Jones Season 1. Uh, and The Boys Season 2, it, it probably likewise... Just because I think of uh, uh, because of the criticisms we've made about the unevenness of of She Hulk and the kind of post She Hulk disappointment you feel not when you're actually watching it but after you've watched it and it's all sunk in and you think actually where did that plot really go when it all boils down to yeah. it? Actually... But that said, is that all counterbalanced by watching Daredevil do the walk of shame in costume? Yes. Oh, I will just say, though, God bless you for trying to make that costume work, MCU. But the red and yellow Daredevil suit just isn't good. As, as Jen that... says, it's hot. It's ketchup and mustard. <laughs> How, um... But now, of course, you've got the difficulty of deciding whether he's doing the walk of shame because of the suit or because of the doing the nasties. 
I'm going to say the suits. <laughs> because, oh, that's actually another thing. Do you know who I think might be the most unrelatable character in all of, like, television history? Go on. The guy who wakes up after spending a night with She-Hulk to find that she's now just Tatiana Maslany. Yeah. Yeah. You make a fair point. Although, bear in mind that in Orphan Black, a show in which Tatiana Maslany plays every one of the sisters, right? Almost every person I know who watched that had a favourite sister that they fancied more than the other. And they're the same woman! <laughs> She's just that good, Mick. <laughs> Actually, maybe that's it. Maybe Tatiana Maslany is just such a good actress that if she told me I wasn't attracted to her, I'd believe it. <laughs> so, so yeah. What, was, well, what, what, what? Before we make a judgment call here, what was after the boy season two? So, uh, actually, coincidentally enough, because I only mentioned it like a little while ago, number seven is Ms. Marvel. Ah. Which I think is a good point of comparison because that was similarly. A bit uneven in places. It was a bit uneven in places. But the main plot kind of made sense. Yeah, I... I can concede that you're probably objectively right in that She-Hulk should go below Ms. Marvel, but also Tatiana Maslany. So I think She-Hulk is Angu number one. No. No, I, I, I can't do another Suicide Squad. <laughs> Fine, I'll put She-Hulk in as I knew number eight. You know it makes sense. Maybe season two will go up there. Maybe. And I, I'm happy to admit that my judgment is very much compromised on this. <laughs> right, well, that's that that's our duties completed. Indeed. I think I that... rest my case. Let's bang that gavel. I have no further questions, Your Honour. We may be overdoing the legal jargon here. Indeed, I'll, I'll file a motion to dismiss. Nah, see me. Actually, ooh, I d as Runa the Light Elf did learn, though, impersonating a judge is illegal. Indeed, that's true. Anyway, that, that is about it from us. If you do want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if, you, and if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you see, I've told him to pre-record this bit and just edit it in at the end of every episode, but he insists on doing it live every time and he trips over the words all the time. Yeah, but see, the problem is I need to make an actual good recording of this first. <laughs> like, there needs to be a time when I don't just fluff all the words and then that's the one we can copy and paste. So if you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you're a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. And I've been Meg. So long and thanks for listening. <laughs>